0: And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, well, you helped make that happen. And we know that a third well is being committed. Uh, to be built through our children's ministry, we committed that in 2019. And our children's ministry—they're still uh, uh, deciding where that will be. But even what does Jesus say? I'm always working, and my Father's always working. Even in the midst of a pandemic, uh, our commitment, our service, our giving, our worship is changing lives. So thank you for that. We're continuing now in our teaching series: spiritual PPE. I said last week, how many of us ever even had PPE in our normal vernacular? You know, we just would talk about it at coffee shops. Not. But now we're all talking about PPE. Not just healthcare workers on the front lines or first responders, but we're wearing masks, we're wearing gloves, my wife and I do if we're out in public, as an act of loving our neighbors, and we're conscious of having personal protective equipment. Well, I shared last week, and we're going to be sharing over the course of this eight weeks, about seven more, counting today, that um, the Bible says we need spiritual PPE. Paul says it in the book of Ephesians. There are things that we need to put on to protect ourselves. Why? If you were here last week, I said because Christianity is a fight. It's a struggle, right? As we follow Christ, as a new kingdom is being born into the world, Romans 8 said with groans, labor pains... Um, we're in this hard work of bringing God's kingdom to fruition in a kingdom that's very fallen in the earthly world. Uh, this morning at 9 o'clock, our heritage service, I was really moved. Um, and you can see those on our Garfield, uh, GarfieldChurch.org, on our messages page. They're also up on YouTube. Some are even worshiping at 9 and at 10 or 9 and 1130. I think that's great. But our chancel choir this morning sang a spiritual that's usually known by the title of, I've Got Shoes. And, and I loved it because in the spirituals, um, there, was, there was understanding of the African slaves in America that their faith was a struggle. I had the privilege to study with Albert Raboteau, one of the, the premier voices about African slave religion. And he taught us specifically that, that the religion of the African slaves was one of resistance. Now, maybe they couldn't actively resist all the time, although some did. Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, Gabriel Prosser, those were active resistance, led by all three of them were clergymen, by the way. Um, but for the most part, there were other forms of resistance, and, and it, was, it was sublime, and it was underground. In fact, when the slaves would go listen to uh, preachers that the slave owners had come to kind of keep them in their place, they nodded politely. But at night, they went and they would steal away and dig into the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And they wrote these spirituals as protests. They were fighting. It was part of their spiritual PPE of worship. and Because in that day and age, when they would say, I've got shoes, you've got shoes, all God's children have shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes. I'm going to walk all over this land. See, what, what they were doing was, in that day and age, a lot of the slaves weren't getting shoes. They didn't even get their physical PPE to go out and work in the fields. But they knew that that there was a God that one day they would have what they need. And they would tread against injustice. And they would say, I've got a robe. I've got a harp. I've got a crown. Like they knew there was a new kingdom that was coming. And there's a line in that that spiritual that I love. It was my favorite one. It says, a lot of people are talking about heaven, but they ain't going to go. And who are they talking about? the slave society the slave owners who on Sunday would go to their churches and sing songs and read a Bible that never penetrated their hearts. And those, afternoons we are in a struggle for a different kingdom, they may think they're going, but they're not going to go. We're going to go. It's it's sounds of resistance. And that's what Paul tells us. That's a very intense form of it. But all of us, all of us, are in for a struggle for our faith. So let's just hear those first verses Um, of our series again right now, where Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full, full armor, right? Last week I talked about that we're in this struggle, it's multidimensional, physical and psychological, emotional and spiritual. So Paul's saying if you neglect the spiritual thing, it's gonna fail you. The full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's what I'm going to teach on today. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. I said last week, Paul's not saying that we never struggle with flesh and blood. Of course we do. But he's saying you don't just struggle against flesh and blood. There's more to it. And today I want to look at taking our stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, The word schemes in the Greek, um, and this is why we have to put on the whole armor, the word schemes is a word in the Greek called methodista. Now, as one who was ordained in a Methodist church, I got a little nervous when I found that out. But the word schemes is methodista, which literally means strategies or designs. And see, for us to be in this kind of a struggle, we need to know what we're up against. When I I coached basketball for 24 years, I had the privilege to play Division I basketball. And one of the things I did, whether coaching or whether preparing as a player, is we always watched film of our opponent. We got film and we looked at what were their schemes. I'm going to speak in tongues for just a minute for you non-basketball fans. But we would want to know, are they going to play matchup zone? Are they going to do run and jump? Are they going to do some kind of, of full court uh, press or zone press? Or, 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 or do they run, run some junk defenses like triangle and two? I told you I was going to talk tongues. But we would not need to know the schemes. And me, personally, as a player, when I was up against guards in the Big East Conference who were a lot bigger than me, more talented than me, I would study my opponent. And I would try to figure out, maybe he doesn't like to go to his left hand. Or maybe he's 6'4", but he dribbles real close to his body so a smaller player like me could get up under him. Or maybe I could see that he doesn't really like contact, so I'd be bumping him all game long. See, we need to know what the schemes are. And I want to talk today the schemes of the devil. Now, I know some of you again are saying, here's Chip with that devil thing again. I thought he was intelligent. That just seems so simplistic. Well... You mean, Chip, you really believe in personal evil, the devil, or Satan? You bet I do. And guess what? So did Jesus. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And see, we can't say, well, you know, I like some things that Jesus says, but that that stuff, that kind of embarrasses me. We can't pick and choose, you know, what we're going to believe. If we're doing that, we're cutting God down to our size. And, and, and Jesus said that, that he saw Satan fall, right? Um, Paul talks about in the gospel that uh, he sees Satan as a, an adversary. Remember one place he says, um, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. In another place, he's advising the church to be forgiving because if we don't forgive, we make room for the devil. And in Thessalonians, I think it was in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica and said, how much eagerly I want to come to you, but Satan blocked our way. So, so there is a personal evil. There's a harassing, hindering, testing, uh, tempting voice that's out there in the world. Jesus saw uh, Satan as a personal, em- a personal enemy. In fact, when he said that, That verse I quoted for you, it was after he sent the 70 out, and he said, go out, preach the good news, heal the sick, cast out evil spirits. And when they came back, they were saying, Lord, even the evil spirits listen to us. And Jesus, it was like they triggered a memory. He said, yeah, I saw Satan fall with his hair on fire as he fell down to the earth. Okay, and that that kind of triggered in a pope long ago uh, a theory, and there's some biblical backing for it. He interpreted that that somehow Satan was an angelic being who sought to uh, usurp God in some way, shape, or form, and was cast down, cast out of heaven. Uh, Hollywood's had a field day with that, you know, with all these armies of light and armies of, of you know darkness. Don't get caught up in that. But I think what is important is there's a sense that that Satan was cast down, that he wanted something uh, uh, to be lifted up, and he was cast down. He was cast out of heaven to do his work, not in heaven, but on earth. And that's why 2 Corinthians, Paul calls him the god of this world. In Ephesians, it says the prince of the power of the air. So I want to talk about how we fight against his schemes, but here's a little warning note. Have a little humility, okay, <laughs> in this. Because whatever Satan is, he's not as big as God, and we don't have to worry about that. But he's a little bigger than you or me, right? we battle battling against flesh and blood. And, you know, we, if you just try to battle with flesh and blood or my intellect, you're always going to lose. We need Jesus with us. We need to put on the full armor of God. And Second Corinthians says, so we won't be ignorant to his schemes. So let me jump in here. I'm going to try to do this. I'll show you his general scheme, his modus operandi, and then two ways that that acts out, and then kind of a way for us to begin to fight back. Scott's going to dig deep on that next week. The first modus operandi of, of the scheme of the devil is that Jesus always calls him the father of lies, the father of lies. In fact, in John 8, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Jesus says, when he speaks, meaning Satan the devil, there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. In fact, the Greek word for devil uh, that's used in the Bible is the word diablos. It's where we get the word diabolical. And literally, you know what it means? Deceiver. The real power of Satan is inserting false ideas into our hard drive and influencing us through lies. It's not the exorcist with a little girl turning her head around or throwing up pea soup. That's not what it is. It's this voice that comes in and brings lies to us. In fact, a good example, if you read Acts chapter five, where the early church was assembling and they were doing kind of what we're doing here. You guys are bringing in money to our general fund. And we're taking that and moving it out into various areas of ministry. And that's how the early church began. They would bring what they had and then distribute as there were needs and to get this thing going. But there were two people, Ananias and Sapphira. And they sold a field. And they got a bunch of money for it. And they, they didn't give the offering that they were supposed to give to the church. And Peter said this to them. You read it in Acts 5, verse 3. He said to them, Has Satan filled your heart to lie? Has Satan filled your heart to lie? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, He blinds the mind. And when he tests Jesus, how does he test him? By lying to him. By taking Scripture and twisting them and distorting them. And Jesus fights back by speaking the truth. Okay? Okay? Um, and, and that's why I, I think we have to understand that all. whenever you talk about Satan today, you'll get a book on Satan. It'll be talk about satanic followers or demon possession or Ouija boards or the occult. And let me tell you something. Maybe that's how the devil operates 0.00001% of the time. But that's, it, I think like it's a red herring. It's just a misdirection. See, if I were in a battle against you, like, you know, in the old days, you, I'd want you to think that I was going to attack over here when really I'm going to attack over here. And I think Satan has just used the Hollywood stuff to misdirect our attention and to avoid the fact that what he really wants to do with us is distort us through lies. That's the satanic influence you have to look out for in your life. Do you know the power of a lie? You know, someone maybe put into you uh, long ago that told you, you're not lovable right? And that memory has haunted you. Well, guess what? It's no longer important who said it. What's important is that it was planted in your spirit, and Satan wants to persecute you with it, and it's your belief in that lie that keeps you under its power. And the only way out of that is we must root out those lies and insert the truth of God's Word, right? So that's his modus operandi, he's a father of lies. Now let me tell you two lies, two important ones. These are good to take notes, and then I'll try to wrap it up. The first lie, and he uses multiple lies, but these are two key ones, I think, biblically. The first lie he uses is what I call the lie, he whispers in your ear, the lie that you must ascend. See, when the Old Testament talks about Satan or evil, Isaiah talks about uh, the bright, uh, shining angel who tried to show off his light, called it Lucifer. And the word was from that warring angel was, I will ascend. I will be as the Most High. And the Most High was a prescription that was only given to God. And see, Satan wants to whisper that to you. He wants to say, look, uh, you need to look out for number one. You need to be your own boss. It's a doggy world out there. Take care of yourself. Nobody has a right to tell you what to do. You decide what's right or wrong for you. See, those are the lies to make you ascend, to make you think you're better than somebody else. And boy, does Satan love things like racism and white supremacy and sexism and you know, male domination and, and anything that elevates somebody to look down at somebody else. And you don't think this divisiveness we see in the political arena, that he is not stoking those flames? You know, you may have conservative ideas, you may have liberal ideas, but how dare you look down your nose at someone else just because you disagree with them ideologically? He's got you right where he wants you. In fact, this was the operating uh, procedure of how he ruined the universe when he went to Adam and Eve. Do you remember what happened? Adam and Eve, we're were in the garden. Look at uh, Genesis 3.1. It says, the serpent said, did God really say? Listen to this. You must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's a lie. God had said to Adam and Eve, Rita said, eat from any tree in the garden. Every tree in the garden. Except for this one. But see what Satan does? He exaggerates it. He distorts it. He makes them start feeling sorry for themselves. He said, God won't let you eat from any tree. He's a big bully. He's prohibiting you from being all you can be, from ascending. In fact, he says uh, to them another lie. He said, God told you you'd die if you did that tree. No, you won't eat of that tree. You'll be like God. Do you see why he's trying to get us to ascend and be, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. It really sounds good. It's a lie. There's only one most high. And I told you i get back to John 8. The Pharisees bumped up against this same lie. And here they were, religious leaders. How many know the devil can use religion? Right? And here were the Pharisees. They felt like they were so elevated. They were better than the Gentiles. They were better than the women. They were better than the lepers. They were the pure, holy ones. And they used Scripture to validate it. And Jesus walked into their presence you read it in Matthew 23, and he said, you know what? You are blocking people from getting into the kingdom of heaven. And he even says to them, actually, you're making people more ready for hell than you are for heaven. And then he goes in John 8, and he's in this dialogue with them. And, and you've got to read this. He basically says um, in, in John chapter 8, he tells them, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you're doing what you've heard from your father as they were resisting him and the Pharisees got a little prickly and said wait a minute our father is Abraham now you may not read this but it's in the Bible watch what Jesus says tough lines he says you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there's no truth in him, for he's a liar and the father lies. He tells the Pharisees, yeah, you have a father, it's a devil. That's tough stuff. But you know what he's saying? When we begin to live selfishly, when we begin to be so self-centered and try to lift ourselves up, we're going right into the hands of a different spiritual father who tried to ascend and be like God. So trust on this, keep living selfishly And you'll be under his power and you'll be his pawn and the family resemblance will start to break out and you'll look just like him and you'll have the DNA of the dark kingdom in you. Look how different it is. Satan wants to ascend and he was cast down. Jesus was willing to descend and he was lifted up. So watch that temptation to ascend. The next lie that he uses—it's a, it's a, i call it a one two punch it 's the lies of temptation and accusation temptation accusation it 's a one two punch um, and i don 't know much about boxing, but you, you know the first punch is a set up punch the second one knocks you out and I think this can help you because this is how this is the one that that really destroys and distorts people first it 's a lie of temptation in fact, the word satan hasatan, Literally means accuser. He's like a very corrupt, evil district attorney. He's a prosecuting attorney. He's always showing you what's wrong with you. But he starts with temptation. He basically, what temptation is, is he just doesn't want you to take sin so seriously. Okay? So have you ever heard lies like this? He'll do things like, oh, that's not so bad. That's no big deal. Everybody's doing it you probably won't get caught. And even if you do, they'll get over it. You can ask for forgiveness later. So don't take that so seriously, that's the temptation. But watch this, once he gets you to cross that line, he hits you with the second punch, which is the sin of accusation, which wants you to take sin too heavily. Where he says, wow, now you'll never get out of here. You're too damaged now for anybody to forgive you. No one will love you now. I thought you were a Christian. Do you see how he sets us up and knocks us out, right? On the way in, he says, oh, you can ask for forgiveness. On the way out, he says, how could anyone possibly forgive you, right? And, and this basically is an attack on our conscience, right? That, that he attacks our conscience, accuses us. And he does it in so many different ways, Uh, He can run sins out in front of you, right? And say, well, you did this, and you did that, Um, you know. And and all of a sudden, he says, you're not worthy to pray. You're not worthy to go to church. And as soon as you feel that way, guess what? You're in duck soup. And Satan is a chef, and you're the duck. He's got you right where he wants you. And he can also use regret to accuse us. He can he can remind us of things. How about, He can dig up stuff in our past. Let me tell you, I don't know about you, but i got a lot of stuff in my past. There's a lot of ammunition back there. And Satan can go bring that up, and it's like, pick one, and rub my face in it. I had a, a, a baptism that I did, and it was a, a man who, I was a pretty successful business person, but he had done some kind of seedy things, and he'd run his marriage into the ground. He was disenfranchised from his kids but he came to a bible study and he began to hear the word of god and he and he and he was growing in his faith and he came to worship and i had the privilege of baptizing him i'll never forget that and when i laid him down in the waters there was so much joy there was tears there was smiling and it felt like like a weight just lifted off of him do you know the very next day he called me up and he was utterly depressed And I said, what happened? He said, well, I went to bed last night. He said, I was so, I just felt so much joy after my baptism. I was having the greatest day. I went to bed and I said to God, man, I'm going to have the best sleep of my life. And he said, just then it was like a little movie reel started. And I was being reminded of things I did in my past that I had forgotten about. And all of a sudden I said, you hypocrite. How could you be baptized after all those things you did? And he said to me, Pastor Chip, what is that? I said, it's a fiery dart of the enemy, bringing up a a reel of past things to drown you in regret. Here's the one that gets me sometimes, right? Um, Satan will go back and, and dig you up and accuse you and say words like this. Think about what you could have been. He does that to me a lot. Whenever I've gotten like in financial distress or, you know, money's around a little tight and there were times I wanted to do some things for my kids and I couldn't really do it. And I was, you know, men, we think we gotta be a provider and all this. And I was feeling down about, don't you know that, that the old little voice comes into me and says, yeah, but weren't you a CEO when you were 23 years old? Man, you were driving a car that costs as much as, as you almost make in a year. You remember those days Look what you could have been. And I tell you, I was with an accountability partner in this church, one of my best friends. And I'll never forget, I was feeling all sorry for myself. And I was in the midst of this as Satan was telling me, oh, what you could have been. You know what he said to me? He said, Chip, look me in the eyes. He said, your kids don't want things from you. They want you. Do you see what he was doing? He was taking the truth of God's word and he was shoving it in there where the lie was. And it lifted from my life. So remember this, friends. Remember this. He wants to set you up with temptation and knock you out with accusation. And he will do this. Hear this line. Satan wants you, this is one, just meditate on. Satan wants you to reflect more on your sins than on your Savior. Think about that. The one thing he wants to keep you away from is the grace of God. So those are, the, those are the two lies he uses to set us up. Now, let me wrap this up in five or seven minutes here. Here's the good news. He does, he, he's a liar. He uses the lie of trying to ascend. He uses the lie of temptation and accusation. But the good news is your enemy is vulnerable. He's vulnerable. That's why Paul tells us to put on the whole armor. As I said, Pastor Scott's going to wax eloquent on that next week. But just a few little setups for that. The way uh, what First Corinthians 10:13 basically tells us is yes, Satan is an adversary. He's powerful, but he, he's limited. He's on a leash. He's on a chain. He can only go so far. For those of us who know God, right, and don't allow him uh, in. Uh, years ago, I think back in college, I w- read it's an old book, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. It was a story of Pilgrim, a Christian, working through the. And there's one um, place where Pilgrim is to walk down this street up to the celestial city, but he sees on both sides of the street that there are demons, they're lions, and they're chained to posts on each side. But the chains are really long, and the angel whoever tells Pilgrim go to the celestial city. Say, I go down there, those things are going to tear me apart. And, and the voice said, No, just walk down the very center. Don't turn to your left, don't turn to your right, and you'll be fine. And Pilgrim walks down the center, and here come the lions. They're roaring at him. But he stays on that center line, and they're, they're thrashing their claws at him, but they're missing him by like a half an inch. And he makes it safely through. And the reminder of that story is this. Don't give the enemy any footholds. Avoid footholds. You know this scripture. In your anger, do not sin. This is in Ephesians also. Be angry, sin not. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? Do not give the devil a foothold. Right? Um, William Grunel was an old Puritan preacher. Those guys knew how to talk about the devil. But he said kind of what I was saying about Hollywood. He said that uh, people hear a bump in the night and they run away crying, the devil, the devil. He said, maybe we should be looking at the bitterness in our hearts. And running away from that and crying, the devil, the devil. Or maybe we should be looking at our own pride and running away from that and calling the devil, the devil. See, the devil is an opportunist. When he tempted Jesus in Luke, it says that after he was done tempting him, he departed, what, until an opportune time. And later in Luke, when they were looking for a way to put Jesus to death, right, then Satan entered into Judas. He's always, he's relentless. He's always going to come back. He's an opportunist. Don't give him footholds. I made this mistake um, 10 years into my marriage. Terry and I were in our 11th year of marriage. Now, we have arguments and fights and everything, just like the rest of you folk in relationships. But, you know, they, they usually don't last more than a day or so. But we were in this situation where we got mad at each other, and it turned into extended cold front. I mean, we were putting a good face on with the kids, but in private, we were doing a real good job of ignoring each other. And I had my feet in the sand, and I was like, I want to win. I'm going to win this battle. And after doing this for a month or so, uh, my wife said, hey, the boys, are, they're going to go stay the night uh, at a friend's. You and I need to go out and talk. And I was, great, she's going to give in. I'm going to win my first argument uh, in the history of my marriage. And we went out to a restaurant that night, and I'll never forget And after we ordered, she looked at me and she said, you know, this is all your fault. I didn't want to hear that. But she said, Chip, look, Satan wants to destroy your ministry. And you've been telling him how to do that. See, for the last six months, uh, we were in a place and Terry and I, where I was serving as a superintendent, I was very young. We were an interracial couple. Uh, Terry was the first African-American of the 18,000 Methodists in that location. We'd experienced some bumps and bruises. And I don't know if I was being protective of my wife or, or I just wanted to emphasize what you all know that we're a team. But I started saying things like, you know what? If anything ever happened to my marriage, I would have to leave ministry. If I ever got divorced, I'd have to leave ministry. Terry said, you know what? You've been saying that an awful lot. And you don't think the enemy heard that? And he says, oh, that's the way to get at your ministry, to attack your marriage? She said, I don't even remember what we were mad about. And the truth was I didn't either. And we prayed at that moment, and it lifted, and see I had given the enemy a foothold. Don't give him a foothold through your anger. Don't give him a foothold through your bitterness. Just just two or three more minutes, guys, and I'm done. The enemy is vulnerable. Avoid footholds, and here's what you need to do. I'm going to use a a war image, and we're not trying to just live there, but it's the best image I have. What to do? Avoid footholds and also lay down some landmines with the truth of God's love in your heart. Not hocus-pocus, not mumbo-jumbo, not prayer clause we buy on the internet, right? Not holy oil that, never mind. You know, but lay down some of God's word deep in your heart, you're feeling unlovable, you're feeling wounded, put, put a landmine of God's word in there. Put the words that God spoke at Jesus' baptism. You are my beloved child. With you I'm well pleased. Put that in there. Put the word in there that greater is he that is in you than the one that's in the world. Put that word in there. Put the landmine of May God who has begun a good work in me. Perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Are you feeling persecuted? Are you feeling like, oh, I'm no good, I don't measure up? Why don't you put Romans eight in your heart where Paul preaches and said, there is now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? For I am convinced, watch this, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present or the future, nor any powers, same word that Paul used in Ephesians about the cosmic powers. There's none of that, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You put those landmines in your heart, and when Satan shows up, he'll step on one of them and it'll blow up. Let me close this by saying I was thinking of this and remembered when my boys were young, they were in Mansfield, they were at a little charter school, a through K-6 school called Discovery School, we loved that. It was a wonderful artistic school and Matthew was in kindergarten or first grade, Perry's second, third grade, and, and they went there and it was a small school and all the parents knew each other and the kids knew each other. I got good friends, my wife and I, with the principal, Lisa Clark. And something happened with my boys, at Lisa, we would always laugh about, when they would go to Matthew or Perry, they're very young and say, Hey, you know, we need you guys. We're going to be doing this fundraiser. We need you to do this and this and this. Or, hey, we're going to go on a field trip. Or, hey, um, uh, you know, Perry, you don't need to bounce around so much in class. Or things like that. And my boys would always say, I think you need to talk to my dad. And Lisa would call me up in my office. She said, well, I just talked to Perry. And he said, I think you need to talk to my dad. And we'd have a laugh about You know what? That's good theology. That's good fighting back. You know, there was a Puritan pastor who, when Satan would trouble him, he'd say, why are you troubling me for my soul? My soul is with Jesus. Go talk to my dad. Go talk to him. And one time he said, if, if Satan, you come to me saying I owe you anything, go talk to my Christ. Because he has underwritten the deed to my life. You want to put a landmine in your heart? Put the landmine. Jesus says, it is Finished, paid for, done. Put that in your heart and see if God won't protect you. Come back next week for Mother's Day and we'll continue to learn how to put on our spiritual PPE. Pastor Lori is going to close us out before our band leads us. Close us out in prayer.